Hello, my name is James Kelly and welcome to Inner Coach. This is episode one. As I said, my name is James Kelly and I am the creator of the Miracle Choice Games. And with my wife and partner, Katja Vasconcelos, I'm the creator of Miracle Choice Coaching. And Katja is going to be joining me in some of these episodes. But the starting episode, episode one, is called Finding Your Inner Coach. And I'm going to describe my journey of finding my inner coach. And this is going to be relevant to everyone who's a coach, but everyone really who is exploring their inner life and how to express that in the world. I'm just going to start off as I was as a child. I mean, one of my first memories is kind of set in a religious Christian context. I remember sitting in church, uh, listening to the minister preach. And, you know, the whole theme, of course, was Christianity. And I really was in love with Jesus, who was really the star, I guess. And you could even describe him as the coach. And he was, I could see that, you know, from what I read and uh, experienced that, you know, Jesus was connected to his inner coach and he was expressing that in a way that was so powerful. And, but I remember just sitting there in, in church and listening to the minister and I was looking around and I was thinking, who sitting here in this congregation listening to this sermon, who is really living that in their life? And are they just following and giving lip service to something that really isn't making a difference for them? And I wanted it to make a difference for me. You know, make a difference from the inside out. Not just following something, but following an inner prompting, being really authentic. And I didn't really manage to do that within Christianity. I tried so much, but... It still felt to me like I was following something external and it really didn't do it for me in the, in the sense of awakening my inner coach. In fact, awakening my inner coach had to come when I was in my 30s in an unexpected way, in an unexpected situation. And I'm going to get that in a moment, but I just want to start off again by saying that, of course, if you're not having an inner directed life, you're going to have an external one. And so because I lacked that connection to my inner coach way at the start, I was really just focused externally. And my goodness, did I go for it externally? I, I met a friend a couple of years ago and he said to me, James, you were so ambitious um, you know, as a as an adolescent, you know, as a teenager, we, we hung around together, but he, he saw that I was so ambitious. And I looked at him and thought, my goodness, is that true? Was I so ambitious? But of course, if I look back on it, I was so driven at an early age to achieve external things. I remember when I was doing my O-levels, which is kind of like an examination you do when you're about uh, 16, and I, I, I sat 10 of them and I think I got seven A's. No, I don't think, I, I know I got seven A's, two B's and a C. And I remember my girlfriend at the time, she, once the results were given out, you know, everyone was looking at the results. And I knew my girlfriend at the time was so much more brighter than me. She was just easily way ahead of me. But of course, I wanted to achieve. 
I wanted to be achieving something externally. So I had really worked so hard for these exams. And when she got her results, they were much less than mine. And when she heard about my results, she just looked at me and rolled her eyes. And up to me, I remember that moment, I was thinking, yeah, she's going, what a swat. You know, did you have to really try so hard? It was almost the message she was given to me at that time. And I just laughed inside because I knew I was forcing it almost too much on the external thing. I mean, back in the church situation, I was the youngest ever Sunday school teacher. Back at school again, I was the head boy of the school. And, you know, I was trying so hard to achieve something externally that it really wasn't very attractive. You know, I was the ideal pupil. And, of course, in relation to, to my family, I was trying to be this ideal son. And what was so funny was uh, it wasn't until my 30s that I realised I'm, I was grew up in a, in a family of, of three and I had an older sister and a younger brother. But for some reason in my mind, I thought I was the favorite because in my mom's eyes, you know, I wanted to please my mom. I thought I was my mom's favorite. You know, I tried so hard externally to do and achieve things at school and be the best son. But obviously it doesn't work like that. It was so obvious when I realized it in my 30s that my younger brother was always my mother's favorite. He was always the kind of cute one that was, you know, kind of soft and gentle and, and, and loving, loving. And she had a, a different connection with him. No matter how much I wanted to externally achieve, and we all realize that, that I guess, that doesn't make us important to other people um, or make us the favorites or that we get what we really want in life by achieving external things. And of course, um, this all came to a sorry end. You know, we have this journey and I look back on it, you know, this journey that took me through education to achieving, uh, to go to a university to study, to be a veterinary surgeon. I mean, I had to get really top exam results to get there. And I just remember my first couple of months when I arrived at the university. And I realized where I got myself into, I got myself into this extremely academic, top of the range, surrounded by you know really top intellectual people. And to be honest with you, I was at the bottom near the bottom of the pile because I had worked so hard and figured out externally how to pass exams. And I, you know, had a certain level of brightness and intelligence, but it really wasn't coming from a true sense of being academic or, or, or being really um, coming from an inner space of wanting and desiring to be a veterinary surgeon. And so I, I realized I had made a mistake in the first couple of months. But because I wasn't connected so much with my heart, and of course, when I talk about this inner and outer connection, of course, we can never really be disconnected totally from our inner coach. There's, we, we always are. We we're, can't be disconnected to our true identity or to love. 
And of course, in that university situation at the start, I just was still following an externally directed way of living that I didn't have the guts or I didn't have the heart connection strong enough to say, you know, this to, isn't what I want to do. To say to my parents, look, I've worked this hard, but I don't want to go through five years of training to be a veterinary surgeon um, because it's not in my heart to do that. But instead, I did it. I, I did five years at university. I qualified as a vet. And 30 years later, I was still doing some veterinary work. But during that 30 years, I had spent at least 10 years doing other things because, as I say, my heart wasn't completely in it. So my heart obviously led me in other directions. And the direction, of course, of the veterinary life came to a kind of, it became boring after a while, or it became that I achieved a certain level of standard of, of, of work, but never excellence because my heart really wasn't in it. And I did the usual things externally, got a good job, got married. You know, that was another external kind of tick the box. You know, that's what you're meant to do. And then I hit a wall, both with my marriage as it, it came to an end after four years and my veterinary career wasn't satisfying. And I remember really just leaving my wife leaving my work in, in England and coming back to my home country of Northern Ireland. And I even went back to live with my parents. And I realized at that point that my external way of living uh, hadn't worked. It hadn't worked for me and I couldn't keep it up any longer. I'd got to that stage, it was my early, late twenties or it was late twenties where I just, I was just exhausted doing that and I knew I just couldn't go on. But I, and then I guess I was open to discover more where my inner coach lay and my relationship to my inner coach. And as I say, that came about in a kind of unexpected way. I say, after my marriage, I was back in Northern Ireland. I kind of got a job to earn some money and I met this, uh, I got into another relationship with this with this girl called Anne. And I kind of really looked up to her because I could sense that there was something different about her. And she was into um, a guy called Anthony DeMello, who was a Jesuit priest. And he, he was pretty radical, really. He, he, he taught a lot about looking at your attachments, you know, attachments to other people, attachments to achieving something. And, you know, really explaining in, in clear language that you know, going after all these things isn't going to bring you happiness. And relationships with other people don't bring you happiness as well. And I, she had been studying this for a long time and, and really living it. And I, I was kind of new to it, I was, but I was excited about it. And so I was learning lots about that. Um, but our relationship came to an end after a couple of years. And I'll explain a little bit more about that in another episode as you know, how that came to an end. But I was really devastated, devastated because as I said, I was looking up to her. I could see her as a person who had achieved this really connection with her inner self or inner coach. And she was living a life that was authentic. You know, she wasn't perfect, of course. I'm not painting her out to be a saint or something like that. But I remember I was brokenhearted. The relationship had come to an end and 
she invited me about a couple of months later to this party that she was having in her house. And I was actually invited to another party that night and I was very reluctant to go along uh, to her party, but I did anyway, something, there was an inner prompt to go there. And when I went to the party, it became obvious to me that she was getting interested in someone else. And that made it even worse because as I say, I still hadn't got over the relationship. But for some reason, I ended up staying at this party, even though I had an alternative. And, you know, I slept in the, the spare room and I was there, didn't sleep that well, feeling miserable, feeling sorry for myself. And I just remember clearly, and this was the moment that I was really uh, wanting or, or asking for inside, but didn't really know I was asking for it. And this is probably one of those epiphany moments or the epiphany moment really that started me on a deeper connection to my inner coach. I, you know, I'd woken up and I was, I'd been lying there for a while, hadn't slept very well, as it said. And Anne came in, she opened the door and she came in and she sat down uh, beside the bed and, and she looked at me and I looked up with her, probably had these big, sorry eyes and miserable expression. And she just looked at me and she said to me, James, did you make your happiness depend on me? And I looked at her at a moment, I thought she's not being serious. Surely this isn't a serious question, but I could see it was genuine and authentic. And you know, of course my initial reaction was, of course I'd made my happiness depend on you. That's what relationships are about. I mean, is there another way? of being in relationship. And that really was the question that she opened for me at that moment. Is there a way of being in a relationship where my happiness does not depend on someone else? Where I'm so connected to my inner self or inner coach that I'm naturally expressing that and I'm not dependent on external situations, on other people for my happiness. And of course, I knew all these things in theory, but I really hadn't come across a person who was living it. And, you know, I couldn't get away much as I tried to from really seeing that that situation was giving me an enormous gift. And from that moment onwards, I couldn't really look or be in a relationship in quite the same way as I did up to that moment. In fact, Shortly after that, I'd given, I'd given up on my being back in a veterinary job to make money and I went to live in a spiritual community in the northeast of Scotland called Findhorn Foundation. And I kind of sensed within myself that there was something I was going to learn about living in community. Didn't quite know what that was, but I discovered when I got there, actually, that the community I was looking for was really this community of being in a group because in that uh, community, it was based around holding workshops. You know, there's workshops that were dance workshops or art workshops, and people came from all over the world uh, to do different things and different events there. And one of their, their core uh, workshops was called Experience Week and where you had this group that came that didn't know each other, a group up to uh, 
24 people were together for a whole week and there wasn't just a group dynamics but there was interaction with the community and the community of course is based on a, a deep spiritual principle which is really Eileen Caddy was one of the founders and she really held this very very um, closely to her heart and that was really listening to the inner voice the the inner voice within and I suppose that's another way of saying you know listening to your inner coach so I ended up in this uh, spiritual community and there was lots of opportunities for relationships with you know these beautiful women from all over the world but after having this epiphany about relationships I was very reluctant uh, my first couple of years there I, w I really didn't get into any relationships or, or very superficially or, or I was just scared actually to be honest I was probably still scared of losing myself uh, in a relationship where I depended on the ha my happiness uh, for, for that relationship was my happiness you know to get back into that I wasn't totally secure in my inner relationship and that's probably why I was in the spiritual community because there were so many different ways to be nourished and to connect to my inner self and one of the ways that I came across there actually wasn't related to Findhorn Foundation but we as a small group uh, with a couple of friends of mine introduced me to non-violent communication and I don't know if you've heard of non-violent communication before but it's it's basically worldwide now and Marshall Rosenberg who's no longer alive was the founder and I got to meet Marshall and went to a few workshops and but not what non-violent communication taught me I just I still remember the day I, I still remember having this total um, another epiphany this total connection to something inside and in nonviolent communication terms that's called needs so we connect when we're speaking or, or even we don't use the words but we connect in it ourselves that our feelings are connected to the needs that we're having inside in that moment and they're not they're, they're not connected to someone outside or that our feelings are not caused by other people and I just remember getting that that oh my goodness you mean that the other other people aren't the cause of my feelings because I still had or I still have today of course we all have these feelings of being upset or angry or frustrated or sad and it's so tempting to connect those feelings to a person or a situation and so what I was doing up to that point of really connecting to nonviolent communication was I had all these feelings but I was squeezing them down because I was connecting the cause of my feelings to other people and I didn't want to blame other people I was this nice guy still who didn't want to get angry at other people and make it really obvious to other people that I was holding them responsible for how I was feeling I was too nice to do that so I was just polite about what I said to other people I squeezed down my feelings when I was hurt by what somebody else said because I didn't want to to make the connection obvious you know I'd made the connection inside that my hurt was because of what they said and it was only when I then 
came to this epiphany with nonviolent communication that I was able to put, connect my hurt, not to what they said, but to the need I was having in the moment. You know, maybe I was needing some respect or some acknowledgement and I was feeling hurt. And so when I got to connect my feelings with something inner, inner rather than outer, I was, I was free and other people were very grateful as well because they were free. They weren't getting blamed silently or otherwise or through my body language. So they were free and that, that took me obviously quite a few years to really digest that. And, you know, as I explained at the very start, I was very externally directed and that didn't go away. I mean, I think these external directions we have to be successful and to achieve are beautiful and I'm not saying that you don't need to have those because I still had them and I probably uh, was one of the people who became a trainer um, in as short as time as possible in nonviolent communication and found myself along with my uh, partner Katja at that time we we kind of met at the Findhorn Foundation and um, I think the same week we met um, I had introduced her to nonviolent communication and then, you know, within a year or so afterwards, we were we were introducing nonviolent communication to Brazil because my because Catch is from Brazil, and we were traveling together, uh, working at that stage with the University of Peace in Brazil, and and teaching nonviolent communication, and we shared that in in our relationship, and in our relationship actually way we got into a relationship is that I had this, you know, obviously outward attraction to, to Katja when I, when I first met her. And I sensed though on an inner level that this was a woman who was happy in herself and content in herself. She was not looking for someone to make her complete and whole. And I think that was probably the most attractive thing about her to me is it had this deep sense that here I could be in a relationship with someone who was not needy and needing other people you know of course we're all needy and we have needs but needing other people to fulfill them and to make them happy and and so I could I guess I just relaxed when I when I met her in a sense that I could be myself and I could, I was less likely to get drawn into old patterns of behaving in a relationship. So I was, I was felt, felt very safe and obviously loving. And we had this beautiful connection uh, that we still have today. And, you know, our connection is a spiritual journey together. It's, we've obviously, we've, we've created a family together and, you know, our connection goes beyond those roles of being a husband and wife, of being a business partner, of being parents to our children. Uh, there was something that was always there from the start that was, some people call that a soul connection, but it's certainly an inner connection. And she is a, a, a life coach. Uh, you could describe it in terms of she was connected to her inner coach and, and she was living from listening to that. And as this whole show was about uh, inner coach, I'd probably better get back onto making that relevant. And 
what I found was that nonviolent communication helped me really uh, connect to needs inside. And you could say we're, you know, we're coached by our needs and we can connect with them and we can express them and we can live powerfully from that center of, of being coached by our inner needs. And I also find you know, we were still here in the, the context of the uh, Findhorn Foundation in Scotland, where I discovered nonviolent communication. That's nothing to do with Findhorn. But when I was still at Findhorn and before I left, I spent about three years there, uh, much to the distress of my parents. You know, I was I was going to the, uh, you know, from externally trying to please people because I think when you're externally directed. Uh, when you live your life just looking at the uh, achievements and what you can do externally, you you become too much concerned with pleasing other people. And I was really pleased with myself at Fintorn because I dropped out of my professional career and I was living in a caravan in a spiritual community in the northeast of Scotland, much to the distress of my parents, even though actually I got them to come and stay in the community and they even attended one of my first workshops in nonviolent communication. So that was quite an interesting journey, but they were very disapproving of, of that. And part of me was thinking, well done, James, because I'm not following an externally directed uh, request or externally directed expectations. You know, I was following my heart at that point or, or beginning to follow it. And one of the other things that I really discovered at the Fintorn Foundation was how much I loved working with groups because it was very much, uh, I worked in the gardens at the park and we were a group, a gardening group that wasn't just there as a group achieving the outward things of making the garden look pretty, but we were working in a particular way. Uh, and so we also worked with guests from all over the world who came to Fintorn because of the what they'd heard about the magic gardens and the what we call the X factor, meaning that these plants and the vegetables shouldn't be this big. There must be another factor, the X factor. And the X factor was, was communication with nature in a different way. And as I said and explained that the, the Fintorn Foundation really is about that connection on a deeper level to the nature around us and to ourselves and listening to that still inner voice and doing all that really within the context of a group. And I became, um, I became trained by the Fintorn Foundation to facilitate, uh, they call the, the kind of group leaders, facilitators, to facilitate their main core program, which is called Experience Weeks. And that for me was, was such a beautiful experience of discovering that I could be safe in a group and I can discover more about myself. In fact, that's what we're, what's that's, that's what I'm doing right now. I feel safe enough to be in front of this microphone and go on a journey because what I'm doing now is I'm going on a journey where I don't really know where my emotions are going to go or what I'm going to feel. And I'm doing that with you. So I'm not doing this, you know, on my own. And in the Findhorn Foundation context in a group, we were going on a journey together as a group. And to feel safe in a group for me 
was such a, a beautiful thing. And then to facilitate that safety and hold that safety for other people and where we can explore our own inner lives was, was such a gift. And one of the main gifts for me when I first arrived there was to discover that I had so much conflict inside and I had run away from conflict for most of my life. And I only discovered that in the safety of a group that was really well held by a facilitator or a leader. And I had grown up, you see, in, in Northern Ireland and I was born in 1965. So when I was four years old and four days old, I had my first, it's the first, one of the first memories that I can remember. And that was that we were coming back from holiday in our car and we had gone across the border of Northern Ireland to Donegal, which is in the Republic of Ireland. And we, we had spent a, a beautiful holiday there as we normally do. We were just driving back into my home city of Derry. And, you know, some people call it Londonderry and we ended up calling it Londonderry. But when we were driving back into the city and I was only four years four days old and I was sitting in the back of the car along with my brother and sister and my parents were in the front and they had the radio on and we were just coming back into the city and I kind of kind of remember it now with with some emotion because it was such a traumatic event for me I heard them listening to the radio and what was being announced was that the British army uh, had moved in to Northern Ireland and and therefore, because the police hadn't been able to keep control of the situation with basically with the IRA and with civil uh, unrest within the country. And I had realized that the army had moved into my city and my parents were extremely quiet. They, I could just tell, um, being a sensitive child, the energy had changed in the car and and things I knew were never going to be the same again. For me, well, actually, then I realized later that I'd made a choice in that moment to see the world in a fearful way. But the experience was definitely one of fear, one of I couldn't trust that the world would take care of me, that the world was somehow a fearful place to be in. And I'd carried that and I guess I still do to some extent, when I hear <coughs> the emotion in my voice, I carried that with me without really looking at my fear of the world, of running away from conflict in my life until I had come to the safety of a group situation in the Fintorn Foundation. And I was able to explore, um, explore that and also to experience conflict there within groups. You know, what was really funny for me in the Fintorn Foundation, I had this kind of ideal idea and image that the, you know, going to a spiritual community uh, was all gonna be all peace and, and love and joy. But when I got there and these well-held safe groups, there was so much conflict. And there were people getting upset there was people exploring their issues and letting them all out there and exploring the issues with each other and just not being happy. And I was just there for the very first time experiencing conflict and being safe. 
and feeling safe. And so I got to heal some of my issues about the world and conflict and not feeling safe. And I guess I stopped running away. I guess I stopped <clears throat> I stopped hiding and was on some level so much more comfortable with conflict and so much more comfortable with being in a group and other people being upset. And you know obviously that helped a lot with, with relationships and my experience with relationships. But all that, all those things were, were kind of like on a new journey, a, a, a new journey that took me to be a, a trainer in nonviolent communication, a facilitator of groups. Those all um, actually then came to an end in a, in a way that I didn't really expect. My, my wife, or she was my wife at the time, but my partner, Katja, uh, you know, after she lived in the Fintorn Foundation for a bit over a year. She, she had enough of that. She wanted to move on. And that community life maybe didn't hold a, quite the same attraction for her as it did for me. And of course, I'd fallen in love with her. And so I was going to leave as well. And that came, so that brought, you know, facilitating groups there to an end. And then what happened is that after our first child was born, our daughter, uh, was about six months old. We went to live in Brazil, and she wanted to, you know, to bring up her family and her own culture. And I was, I was, you know, I was open for adventures, you know, not just inner adventures, but outer adventures too. So, I ended up living in Brazil for six years. And one, what happened was when we moved to Brazil and started a family and settled down there, I had this really strong uh, calling to stop uh, my work as a, a trainer of uh, nonviolent communication. It was almost like I had to wait for something different. Uh, I wasn't say, I wasn't say something bigger, but certainly something that was more important for me. And it was really frustrating because I was you know, doing really well in, in the external bit and, and, and getting recognized and we were getting no one catching me together. And as I say, we introduced it to Brazil and there was opportunities there. And But for some reason, I had to leave it. And I just followed that inner prompting because I, I knew at that point that there was no point in not listening to my inner coach. Well, I could not listen to my inner coach, and, but that was going to end up being... Uh, more trouble. So I listened there, and but I didn't really know what was going to be next. But what had actually been there for, for many years was just before I went to the Fintorn Foundation in Scotland, I came across a course in Miracles. And the Course of Miracles is, is a book. Uh, that was a challenge, challenge, channeled book, sorry, channeled by Helen Schuchmacher. And Helen had identified her, the uh, inner dictation um, when she received this book as, as belonging to, to Jesus. And I, I got this immediate attraction to uh, A Course in Miracles. And that had started, uh, as I say, just before going to the Findhorn Foundation. And that really was uh, one of the basis of my spiritual life. And, but I was really just starting to get to know it. And it, it's 
as you, if anyone's come across it, you know, it's not an easy, easy book to read. It, it can be quite intellectual. And in some ways, it, it, it took me on an intellectual spiritual journey until I got to a point where I was understanding these principles deep within myself, but they were still concepts. And it got to the place when I was living in Brazil that I was able somehow to express those core principles of A Course in Miracles. My favorite core one was about inner choice. I got to express them in a unique way. And how I got to express them in a unique way came across, came around again in a kind of unusual situation. It was actually when I was playing an investment game with a group of uh, English-speaking friends in Brazil. Um, we had this little group of, of male friends. It was kind of like a men's group. And, and sometimes we do different things together. But what this group, some of us were interested in investing. Um, and I wasn't at that stage, was in Brazil. Um, one of the things I did was um, invest in currencies. Became, became a currency trader, uh, an unsuccessful one, but that's another another story. But then I was invest, interested in investing, and you probably have heard of Robert Kiyosaki and Rich Dad Poor Dad uh, was one of his books. But he created this game called Cash Flow. But Cash Flow was an investing game where you learned how to um try out investment strategies in the game so that you know you don't lose money in real life but you learn something within a game but when i was playing this game with about four people out of the men's group i suddenly realized that oh my goodness a game can be used to you know teach some people about something that they can apply in their everyday lives that the game can um move things from an intellectual level, which is what I was uh, doing with A Course in Miracles, to a practical level and have an experience actually during the game that is a real life experience. And I suddenly knew in that moment, it was not like a big aha moment, but it was just a deep inner quiet knowing that I was going to create a game that was based on A Course in Miracles that allowed people to apply spiritual principles to their everyday life and to not just learn how to apply them, but to actually experience living them or applying them when they were playing the game. And that was just a quiet knowing. And so it took me many years. Uh, what I did actually was quite funny. I went around with a notebook and I, as I say, one of the core principles in A Course in Miracles that really caught me, my attention, was this idea of inner choice, uh, the inner choice between love and fear. So with my little notebook, I was you know, living my life in Brazil, which had many ups and downs, many outward challenges. And I would note down my awareness of my inner choices when I was upset and frustrated or angry or, or, or fearful or sad or whatever. And those inner choices I was making when, you know, I was relaxed and happy and comfortable 
and enjoying life. So I was noting down these, scribbling down these things in a little notebook for a couple of years. I was becoming aware of what was happening inside on the level of choice. And I realized, I guess, there was two inner coaches. There was this inner coach that I was listening to that was a choice for fear. And another inner coach, which of course is our true essence, that was coaching me about love. And the connection with these two inner choices became really my life and became expressed in the game. And it became expressed in the game in a way that people who had nothing to do with A Course in Miracles, that have no knowledge about A Course in Miracles, can just enjoy and appreciate and experience in the game. So the game, which is called Miracle Choice, doesn't require you to know anything about A Course in Miracles when you're you're playing it. And it really is a game that coaches you to become aware of two inner coaches or two choices that you have inside. And that journey of inner choice just revolutionized my life. And in fact, it was really what I'd given up being a trainer in nonviolent communication for. It's really why I had left everything else for, because it really was my expression to the world of what came from my own inner coach. And even though that sounds beautiful, it took over a couple of years for me to get the, you know, the information that would be ending up being in the cards in the game. And some cards are quotations from A Course in Miracles, but most of the cards are really um, examples from my life and how I'd applied and lived the spiritual principles in my life. But, you know, just even creating all those cards took a couple of years. And then there was another couple of years where I was testing the game in the world. And what happened was the testing period coincided with moving back from Brazil to Scotland. And we went to live, both Catch and me chose to live very close to the Findhorn Foundation where we met and we had a family, of course, at that time when we moved back, two children. One was, my daughter was six at that time and my son was four. And we found a beautiful little village called Forest in the northeast of Scotland. We moved back as our family. I needed to earn some income at that point because I had mentioned I had become a currency trader, but not a very good one. So that didn't really work out. And I also ran another business in Brazil. But those are other stories for another time. So I'm back to being a veterinary surgeon and you know, even after six years, I at least remembered how to do that. And, but my inner project, my inner heart calling, following my inner coach was really to test this game that had come to mind uh, in Brazil. And I, what, there was this perfect environment to test it because the Findhorn Foundation was full of really open-minded, interesting people who came there for workshops. And of course, the Findhorn Foundation has its kind of own game connected to it in a way called the transformation game. 
and there was facilitators of my game around who were friends of mine. And so I was, I, I, I on purpose didn't play, I, I knew the game, I played it way back in previous life in Fintorn, and I didn't really get into the transformation game uh, playing it more as a player because I didn't want to steal any of their concepts um, unconsciously because it, it's such a beautiful game on its own. But I wanted to make sure that, you know, unconsciously I wasn't taking ideas from it and to develop Miracle Choice as its own identity. And that was, Fintorn was, Fintorn Foundation was such a beautiful community to be around again. And I had lots of people who were open to experience this new game to give me feedback on it. And so for a couple of years, I, I tested Miracle Choice there before it got produced and out there in the world as a box uh, game which had a board in it and 170 cards. And so, so Miracle Choice was born as a physical product. And you know, that wasn't, it, it, was, it was easy to do the production. I was kind of like, I saw it through to the end and I got to producing it in the world. But of course, or not of course, but I didn't know what, how to, how to really, um, represent it in the world or how it was going to spread. And so this is really now, when I'm talking to you now on the 7th of January, uh, 2021, actually, I'm really pleased. I got to record my first podcast in the first kind of week of 2021, because I'd promised myself that I was going to do it, uh, this year, 2021. I, I hope to do these weekly they'll definitely be shorter than this but this is my uh finding my inner coach story uh, and I, i'm going to come to an end now in a moment but as i say that production of a physical game was only really the beginning and that was seven years ago and i had to learn so much about myself uh and even trusting that you know, my inner coach really came up with this game, but it was took me such a long time to trust that the game was actually any good, <laughs> and it's proved itself in so many different situations, uh, in so many different countries and in different languages, that I needed that kind of global feedback for me to eventually trust it as much as other people immediately did and and now i um see that you know the miracle choice game has got such a deep energy of its own and is such a powerful way of connecting other people to their own inner coach during the game itself and i think that's really where the game comes into its own you know we play games for experiences and, you know, what is also funny about, you know, producing a game is that, you know, I, I grew up playing Monopoly and a little bit of chess and, and Ludo and you know, Cluedo and, you know, different other, you know, family games, board games. But it, to be honest, you, I never really liked playing games. You know, I used to get frustrated when I wasn't the winner of Monopoly. And, you know, I thought I was good at figuring out games, but I, 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 
I wasn't really all that lucky with games and, and I find them quite frustrating. In fact, we, as a family, uh, last year, uh, we, we discovered Catan uh, as a board game. And we played that, I think as a family now, we've played it about nine times. And over one week when we were away on a holiday together, we played it about five times. And, you know, there's a four of us playing it. And out of those nine times, I've never won a game of Catan. You know, I, I, I get into, you know, trying hard uh, and using my mind. And the flow of the game is so much more than that. And so I, I don't really have this love for games. So just in case you're one of the people listening to this who isn't really into board games or card games, uh, I'm not really into them either. Uh, but I think where the game came from is that the game brings a sense of lightness. It brings a group experience. And I, I have this love, as you know, for an experience that can happen within a group. And so the board game does that. Uh, it brings a group together and it brings a sense of lightness because I can be quite serious. And I think that's why I, I laugh when I talk about, you know, playing Catan nine times with my family and not winning once is, is games um, allow me to, to lighten up and become less serious because that's, you know, one of one of my external achieving things. I became quite serious and to unlearn that habit, I think a game is such a great way for me to unlearn that habit of being serious because my inner coach is really gets to <laughs> be a powerful uh, unknown spontaneous surprising um, reality whenever I'm being less serious and I think in a game situation when I'm relaxed and open to having fun uh, and open to the unknown, then my inner coach gets to do its thing. And I think that's what happens as I play the game as a player, uh, the game Miracle Choice. And as I facilitate the game as a facilitator or what we're calling really coach, we have a Miracle Choice coach training. And Miracle Choice coaching allows you as a coach to really relax and connect to your inner coach in such a deep way that really you're having a new experience. It's a, it's a deep journey into the unknown. But I'm not going to get into explaining that now. Uh, I just wanted to really complete that story where there was uh, a journey that was exciting with Miracle Choice being birthed as a physical product seven years ago to now it's, it's a physical product in a smaller way, the pocket game. Uh, it's a, a mini version of the board game. And this year, within a couple of months, we're going to have a web application. So we play the game already online. Most of the coaching of, of clients, uh, most of the gameplay that's happening now is already happening online and we have got a certain way of doing that with our digital cards but we're going to make it much easier to do it online but the journey that you're going to have with miracle choice and the journey that i had really was a deeper deeper way of not just connecting 
with your inner coach, but living from that place. Because I think that's where the journey is for me right now to bring it up to date is this podcast just sitting here right now for me is an expression of a deep connection to my inner coach. It, it moves from knowing and connecting in a flow that then becomes an expression. And I think that's what we really all want to do in our lives is, is come from that authentic heart space. And we can use so many different words to do this. And that's what I was wanting to do as that uh, little boy in the church. Uh, I was wanting to live a life that was extraordinary, extraordinary life from the inside out. And I was looking around me for examples and I didn't find them until I was in my late 20s and Anne sat down uh, beside me when I was lying in bed and said to me, James, did you make your happiness depend on me? Until I got an example of someone living uh, from the inside out. That was when I really started on my spiritual journey. And the miracle choice game and where I am now is still a beautiful way for me to continue my journey where I'm expressing more and more and in different ways that inner coach. And that is such a powerful place for me to acknowledge now uh, that moves me into a different place of relating to the world. And if you're a coach or if you're involved in helping other people in any way, I really know that your journey with the Miracle Choice game, your journey with being a, becoming a Miracle Choice, Choice coach, if you want to do that, is going to be a powerful way for you to connect with your clients, a powerful way for you to expand your business, to relate to the world in, in all your relationships. And so I encourage you to stay with this podcast, to stay with this journey and this show that's called Inner Coach. And we're going to have other people joining us, sharing their experiences, of course, of being connected to their inner coach and living from that space. And obviously on this podcast as well, we're, we're going to be playing the game and there's going to be so much more things happening as we journey together on this experience of connecting to our inner coach and living from that space in a powerful way. So thank you so much. Maybe you've skipped to the end because I realize this is such a long episode, but I think it's going to be there um, for people to listen to completely if they want to. And thank you so much. And I'm really excited to be on this journey together. And also my feeling is, is one of just being open to the unexpected and the unknown and doing that together. Thank you.